Greetings, everybody, and welcome back to Red Shirts and Runabouts. I am Derek, back after missing last week, and I have my two hosts who have not missed an episode yet, uh, Jeremy and Greg. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. Doing great, Derek. Welcome back. Yep. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Uh, this week, we are, of course, going to be talking about Star Trek Discovery, uh, episode number eight. <laughs> um, Okay, I'm going to try and pronounce this. CV Paseum Parabellum? Yeah, I feel like they're pranking us with these titles. It's always left, <laughs> and now it's Latin, and or it's some like 17-word nonsense phrase. It's, it's like they're doing password generation or something. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Uh, so yeah, we're going to be talking, of course, about that episode. But before we do that, we're going to be talking about our favorite non-corporeal entity episodes of Star Trek, which I'm very excited about. So we'll kick that off in just a second. I do want to announce, though, that this weekend, November 10th, 11th, and 12th, the Heroes Podcast Network uh, and Jeremy and myself will be at Kansas City Comic Con at Bartle Hall in Kansas City, Missouri. We will be at booth number 643 all weekend. And uh, we are this show, unfortunately, does not have a panel. But we do have other shows that are going to have panels, so if you want to swing by and see those, um, we will have a schedule up at facebook.com slash heroes podcast, and you can catch some of our other shows. Um, even though I am, I am a Trekkie first, I do have a really cool panel that I get to moderate, which is The Voices of Star Wars. That's a which, cool one. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I get to, I get to moderate a panel with uh, Tom Kane. And David Akram, so the voice of Yoda, and the actor who played Wedge Antilles. So, and Tom Kane is—he's been to a bunch of the conventions. He's awesome. He's yeah, a Tom great. Kane, it's pretty great. He's, he's phenomenal. Not to uh, betray our our fandom. <laughs> no, of course not. Of course not. Equal <laughs> opportunity nerds. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So that was big news. We got we got our panel schedule. That's all out now. If you guys want to go out to our Facebook page and look that up, you certainly can. Um, but let's do this. Let's talk non-corporeal Trek episodes. Uh, Jeremy, this idea was, uh, was your topic. So why don't you start us off? Okay. Um, so as I've mentioned before on, uh, Red Shirts and Runabouts, I'm currently doing kind of a, a lazy rewatch or not rewatch. I'm watching it for the first time of Enterprise. Um, cause I just had it in my head for such a long time that Enterprise was, was a lesser Trek, but now that I'm actually sitting down and watching it, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, and I just hit an episode in the fourth se- season with some, uh, very distinct non-corporeal, corporeal aliens, uh, in the episode Observer Effect. So they go to a, uh, planet where there have been a lot of, like, crashed shuttlecraft and ships scattered around the area and they don't really know what's going on. Uh, and it, it's, uh, Mayweather and Reed, uh, get possessed by these two kind of overbearing, kind of quasi-scientific, very Machiavellian alien entities, uh, that, uh, just are pretty much like telepathic spirits. Hmm. I do not remember this episode at all. Really? <laughs> it was it was an intense one. Uh, Trip and Sato go down in a shuttlecraft and get sick, and they come back and they are um, trapped in the the like quarantine room and uh, 
Phlox pretty much gives them, uh, like, he says they're terminal and says that they they pretty much only have, like, 12 hours to live. And they pretty much, I mean, the whole episode is just the two of them stuck in a room uh, counting down the hours until they die. And just slowly the crew finding clues that these aliens are are just kind of watching them die and and tracking the progress. It was a good episode. Huh. Greg, do you do you know this one? Because I, I seriously, I, this has left my brain. <laughs> I am, uh, I'm struggling a little bit to remember it. I, at least the episode itself. I think I remember the story components when you were mentioning trip and such in the ultimatum. Like not the ultimatum. Like you're gonna die. I remember that. I just don't remember the the plot of the episode. Well, oh man, I am a terrible Star Trek fan right now. Well, it's, it's, it's two of us. I mean, I've watched Enterprise through straight through twice among, you know, other times watching random episodes. I, I really like Enterprise. I think it's definitely a, an underrated show, but for some reason this episode just has totally escaped me. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's season four. It's right after they do the, uh, the what do you call them? Not aug- augments? Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah, the Noonien Soon story arc. It's kind of the, the filler uh episode that goes right after that it was it was a pretty intense one like sato kind of freaks out at one point and and tries to and breaks out of their confinement uh saying that computer code is just another language which was kind of stupid uh and breaks out (laughs) and uh trip has to trip has to bring her back and uh the alien entities take over uh to Paul and flocks at one point and are, are about to completely negate the research they're trying to do to cure them. Uh, but it's the, the two alien spirit things end up kind of pitting against each other because one is apparently newer at this. And then the other one is, uh, more dead to the process and, and is willing to kill them just because for science. Hmm. Well, season season four was very very good, so maybe it just got lost in a sea of really good episodes. Yeah, um, maybe it's very possible. Uh, so, Greg, what about you? What was your non corporeal favorite? Uh, I'm gonna have to go with the uh, the Bajoran wormhole prophets, and <laughs> I know I'm kind of cheating a bit, mainly because they use the word non corporeal. I don't know several dozen, if not a hundred times in yeah. the series. But what I always liked about it is. You know, Star Wars, you know, the joke on other podcasts and other, you know, content reviewers has always been, Star Wars has always been a little bit more kind of like science fantasy, whereas Star Trek's been a little bit more science fiction. And Star Trek always kind of avoided the whole mystical powers, force powers, this, that, or the other. They always kind of tiptoed around religion. And then it turns out that the Bajoran prophets are kind of godlike, and actually their religion is based on... They've been in, interacting with the Bajorans for so long, and they're in the wormhole. And Cisco's the emissary because he's wow, he's a pretty cool dude. And they inter- <laughs> they intervene on the uh, on the during the Dominion War, but they don't win the war. They just mm-hmm. intervene in a certain part to help, basically help the Federation out because they're realizing oh, the emissary's going to die and Bajor's going to fall and all this bad stuff's going to happen. So we're going to stop that, but we're not going to win the war. That's still a responsibility of you corporeal beings that whatever they what they used to say you you view time in a linear path and we are non-linear beings right so i always like they didn't they never went full religion god beings without 
in like an, an unrealistic manner of just the great giant god or hand of god impacting the Bajorans forever. They didn't really go that toe that line, and they could have. I always found them interesting because they seem to have basically the same abilities as the Q, but not the same grasp on our reality as the Q. And not the same, uh, like, fun spirit. Like, they're not, they're not mischievous. They just kind of are. Yeah, like, they didn't understand Cisco, you know, mourning for his wife, Jennifer. He never, they never under, they never under really understood that. They're like, well, what do you mean she's dead? We see her right here and she's doing just fine. She's perfectly alive. Right. She exists here. Yeah. And she, or, or like you exist here, yeah, right? Because they're talking to She Cisco. exists here, so you exist here. And uh, yeah, we just told her about that freighter captain you're sleeping with. She's crying. <laughs> and she's having another, and she's having your kid again. And now she's really upset, Cisco. I just yeah, it's kind of the slaughter has five aliens. Yeah, I mean like they could have really time. they could have really messed it up by making it too godlike, but they didn't. And I and I always kind of like that the non corporeal aspect. They're involved in the storyline. They impact things, but they don't have amazing mystical powers that solve everything all the time. Right. And plus, I just love Bajoran so much, I'm a little biased. Well, DS9 had the advantage of of being much more serialized, and so they could bring in these these beings that they could then explain over the course of, you know, seven years versus, you know, the, the, you know, TNG was so episodic that the arcs we did get were not as fully fleshed out. Yeah, TNG's only real arcs were like two two parters, like season finales or season premieres. There wasn't a ton of stuff they even carried over from episode to episode, except for Riker's beard. Yeah, I mean that that was pretty much it. Uh, they did a little bit towards the end with the Maquis and the Cardassians, um, you know, with uh, Ensign Rolaren and, and stuff like that to lead more into the DS Nine tone. But that was much later. Well, yeah, because the Rolaren was originally considered. To be the first officer on DS9, wasn't she, before they settled on Kira Reese? Was she? Yes. Huh, I didn't yeah. know that. And I, I no, This is nothing against Nana Visitor, because I think she is wonderful. But I would have been very curious to see that. I think it would have been very interesting. Well, yeah, because they played off Ro Laren as kind of this Bajoran. She's not entirely religious. She doesn't dedicate her life to the Bajoran lifestyle. Oh, but now she's first officer on the most important outpost. And, by the way, here are the Bajoran prophets. Oh, and they exist. Right. Yep. I think Major Kira had a better dynamic to balance off of Cisco because she's not Federation and yeah. you know, Ensign Rowe Ensign Rowe was Federation, so it would have been that's a lot more like the Voyager route where most of the Maquis on Voyager were in Starfleet at one point or another, or at least the Academy. So uh, this would have been you know, like that where Kira is very different. She is an outsider and the Federation is encroaching on her people. So Yes, that's, that would have been a much different show, I think, with, with Ro Laren, because then you would have have someone who kind of more succinctly bridged the gap between Bajoran culture and the, the Federation, which mm-hmm. would have been like a pivotal role for someone to play on DS9. And I think that kind of ended up more in Cisco's hands, that he became the cultural, I mean, the emissary mm-hmm. instead of her. Huh. It's interesting to think about. Yeah, yeah. Um, so to wrap this up, my episode is a TNG episode. It's very early. It's actually only episode seven. Uh, and it's Lonely Among Us, uh, where a energy being that was in a nebula, 
basically gets sucked up by the Enterprise by accident, and you know, it shocks Worf at one point, and eventually takes over Picard because it wants to go home. And it takes over the Enterprise, and the crew, of course, is like, Picard's acting weird, he's being funny, which... <laughs> So so early on in the show, like we're not really sure because this, this is episode seven, right. so we barely know the guy. But um, you know, eventually, of course, the he takes over the ship, takes it back to the nebula, and uh, spoiler alert, transports himself into space as nothing but the energy pattern of the transporter pattern, and the Enterprise crew has to basically reconstitute him out in space and it's one of Troy's you know moments where she feels a lot of emotion and everything because she can sense him he's all alone and he's scared out there because the being left him um so I thought it was really a risky thing to do in episode seven because you're basically like teasing killing off the captain right um which I think made best of both worlds even more legitimate of a teaser because like well they've they've teased it before and now this is like a season cliffhanger maybe they are going to kill off the captain (laughs) he's constantly just on the edge the knife's edge of life (laughs) do you you guys remember this episode at all oh yeah i just actually watched it the other day i'm doing my rewatch of next generation right now it's a little foggier for me because i always skip the first season when i rewatch you know i (laughs) I was always in that boat of, well, the first season's really rough. But then when the Blu-rays came out, I did a full rewatch. And you know what? The first season's got some bad episodes. Don't get me wrong. But there's a lot of really good gems in there that I think we all forget about uh, because we remember the bad ones. So I I would give it another shot. If you remember TNG seasons one and two as being just atrocious, atrocious, whatever. Atrocious. That's the word. Yeah. Go, go give them another shot, especially now that they're in HD. They look better, and, and just watch them, because there's some really good episodes in there. Well, season two's got two of my favorite episodes of all time, you know, with Q-Who and uh, the Conspiracy episode. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, I, both really good episodes, and I love Q episodes. So I purposefully left Q out of this conversation, because every Q episode... For the that I can think of is just really a lot of fun for me, except his DS9 appearance. That was disappointing. Well, but yeah. um, and I guess conspiracy was season one. Now that I think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. Um, but Q has always been great, and there's a lot of great Q episodes. So I think at some point maybe we should each pick like our our top. Maybe we should come up with like a top three Q episodes because Q shows up in eleven episodes. So I think we could do a top three. Yeah, that'd be a good one. So, all right, so that's that's it for that topic. Um, if you guys out there listening in the uh, the, ver- the podcast verse have a favorite non-corporeal episode, let us know at Heroes Podcasts on Twitter and Facebook or HeroesPodcasts.com. Um, so let's dive in to Star Trek Discovery Episode 8. The, uh, the title translates, uh, it's Latin, translates English to If You Want Peace, Prepare for War which I, I think, of course, sums up the episode pretty well. Um, before we dive into spoilers, do you guys just want to provide your spoiler-free thoughts? Um, I, I was a big fan of this one. Uh, I, I think it was a better... Again, 
so my my beef with all of the Klingon subplots are that they're constantly speaking Klingon, and this one they weren't. So it was my favorite sing- Klingon subplot so far because they were speaking in English, and we didn't have to hear that very stilted, very uncomfortable sounding Klingon that they've been doing this season that I am not enjoying at all. Fair enough. Greg, what about you? I enjoyed it a little, I think less than maybe the two of you. It was a good episode. I like where the episode is taking it. There was some, there was some tropey things that I'll talk about when we get to the spoiler section of the podcast. But I'm glad that they're starting to let the characters really be whoever the character is designed to be. We're seeing Michael Burnham be Michael Burnham. We're seeing Tilly be Tilly. And we're not, they're not introducing random character gimmicks, which would be very easy to do with a TV, with a, with a streaming only online show like you saw, you saw kind of see on with the Netflix stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so it's a good episode and I'm really, I'm actually, the reason I like this episode is it made me super excited for next week's episode. Yeah, I, I, I will say that it certainly ends on a pretty big kind of cliffhanger moment. Um, yeah, that I, I'm looking forward to. Uh, I, I would say that it was a decent episode. There's some things about it that I thought were really cool. There were some things about it that I thought were a little tropey or silly. Um, but overall, the show the show is um, interesting. I feel like it's sitting in this weird spot for me of, it's very interesting, and I really like all the actors, so it has my attention, but I'm not like falling in love with it. It's funny that you guys both use the tropiness of this episode as kind of an, an epithet, as if that, that's a bad thing. I love, every every time in Discovery they've done something tropey, it, it kind of makes me feel closer to the Star Trek origins of everything, because Star Trek itself is such, like, a trope machine that as soon as they do something where it's like, oh, this feels comfortable, they're, they're you know, they're talking about prime directive stuff. This this feels like Trek to me. No, that's a well, good point. Well, I would not... I would not put that kind of line, though, in the trope category, personally, because it's just, those are rules of the universe. Um, and so I actually, I really appreciate that type of stuff. Um, I, I we'll, we'll, we'll get to okay. it when we talk about the spoilers. So let's do that. So we'll, we'll, we'll pause here for a second. If you've not seen the episode yet, uh, go pause us, go watch it, come back, and we'll talk more. But we should call this going to Code Black. When they go watch the episode. All right. Yes, yes, I like it. I like it. So everybody, code black. Um, all right, so the episode starts off with a battle sequence, essentially, with you know Discovery coming to the aid of another Starfleet vessel. Um, the Gagarin, right? I believe so. <laughs> uh, the name flew by really quickly for me, so I, I'm pretty sure... That's what it was, yeah, it, but... Yeah, because I think it was after Yuri Gagarin. Oh. Nice. Okay. That makes sense. Um, so, so yeah, that ship is destroyed. Um, I'm a little unclear onto the size of that ship, because they also say that it's one of three ships destroyed, and it was, like, about 400 people that had died, so those seem like pretty tiny ships, um, since, like, the it Enterprise... It kind of like and- Discovery, too. Um, so it was a different class of ship, but it, I guess maybe yeah. it was older, because the Enterprise, the Constitution class, had, like, a crew of, like, 400, if I remember right, that back then. Um, and so I'm curious as to, like, what the size of these other ships are, um, to have three ships destroyed for a combined, like, 400 people. 
Well, I'm glad you mentioned the the three total ships because during during the sequence, which was a very well filmed sequence, it was entertaining. Uh, I like those kind of action sequences, and I I'm one of those people I kind of like it when the good guys, good guys get a bloody nose now and then, just because it makes it more relatable. But I I kind of was again internally screaming. I'm like, why in the middle of a war zone? Our Federation ships are flying around by themselves unless you're the Discovery with your secret jump drive. Right. So I, Keep a fleet I, together. Yeah, I missed the part where they said there's there was a task force of three. Well, okay, so that's not exactly how they framed it, though. They said that there were three ships in the sector that were all ambushed at the same time. Okay. Which meant that they yeah. were still far enough away from each other that that could happen. Hmm. Right. So yeah. So the Klingons, so, the Klingons coordinated attack on three different fronts, and the Discovery was only able to intercept one. But even the one that it intercepted was a failure. Which is interesting because assuming that the ambushes were all relatively the same, you're talking eighteen Klingon ships going right. up against three Federation ships. Like, why didn't they just blow right past them? <laughs> yeah, at that point, if you're talking 18 ships of similar capacity against three Federation ships, I mean, that's... Yeah. It, it, it just begs the difference. Like, I'm starting to question your tactics, Starfleet. Well, especially if all of the Klingon houses now have cloaking technology, like, you know, cluster up, stay close to Earth, uh, don't, don't venture this deep into Klingon space. But maybe they're missing their Admiral Cantwell or whatever her name is to to tell them to not do stupid Cornwall, yeah, to not do yeah. stupid things. Well, so so one thing I want to point out before we get too far is this is the first episode of the show written by Kirsten Beyer, and I'm a huge fan of her. She writes uh, what have kind of been dubbed the Voyager season eight novels. Um, she she's written a bunch of them, I think like ten of them, uh, and I've read most of them at this point. So when the episode opens up with uh, the sh- you know a Federation ship taking heavy fire from the Klingons, I'm, I'm like, this is this is great. This is just her style. She's great with that mixture of the characters and the action. She does a really awesome balance of that. And this episode just felt like her work. So I really I, I hope she gets to do more. Yeah, it was really well paced. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. Um, of course, we have the the mystical planet of uh, Pandora, uh, <laughs> which is... I'm glad I'm not the, the only one that thought that. <laughs> uh, Pavo. Uh, but I mean, like, that that's the tropey stuff I was kind of talking about, is like, it was painted to be Pandora, and if they if that crystal tower was made out of unobtainium, then that was like, that was the end of it, right? So, um, what did you yeah, guys Yeah, the crystal think? tower that apparently had a USB port at the bottom. I like how they just like... <laughs> Like, rubbed a computer on it, and it's like, oh, we're tapped into the tower. It's like, that's a crystal pillar. What are you doing? Just place this anywhere. It's fine. <laughs> just just snap on some jumper cables, and we're patched right in. It, it's, it's a weird planet, right? So the planet is essentially alive because of these non-corporeal beings, and the, I guess they're responsible for growing this crystal tower to try and communicate with the rest of the universe? Well, yeah, because they're gigantic pulse beacon... Kind of a throwback to the the Klingon torch, by the way. Went to the Klingons in Federation, which, you know, the original series fan in me was screaming. I'm like, I, I remember when the Organians did this and pulled the, pulled the Klingons and the Federation together to try to come up to some sort of mutual agreement. Now, the Organians were way more powerful than the Pavans, the Pavo. I don't know what they're, Pavoans? Pavan. The Pandorans. Pavan, yeah. Um or whatever the blue creatures were from Avatar. 
uh, the Navi. There we go. Yeah, the Navi. Navi. Yeah. yeah. So it's yeah, that's and that's when I I agree with Derek. That was the tropey part of the tropey stuff I was referring to was living planet. Everything communicates together, communicates through some sort of sphere spice dune network or something. Um, <laughs> I like it. I like it. But I will say they're not. And again, this is where you can see the value the the value of them of CBS and such putting so much money into these episodes is the scenery and the settings look gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And I know there's a lot yeah. of CGI in there, but it's not the disgusting, blatantly obvious CGI. Let's... Yeah, I definitely thought it looked pretty. Um, th- these are expensive episodes, right? They're $8 million an episode. And I think it's clear that they are doing their best to make it look good. The only stuff that I think faltered was when Saru was trying to catch up with Michael. Oh, that CG was, got a little weird. Yeah, yeah. Because they had to, they had to make a guy who is wearing like special boots to make it look like he has hooves, you know, and all his alien makeup, and make him look like he can run significantly faster than a human. So I understand that that's difficult, and that's really the only time that I think it faltered from a, a technical standpoint. Yeah, there was there was one scene where he was running through the woods before he got to that uh, kind of overlook cliff that he definitely looked like. I was like, oh, this is the a cutscene from Discovery the Game. This has gotten, gotten very <laughs> smoothed and it's very strange looking compared to actual Saru. And Sa- yeah. Saru, who is basically portrayed in this one to be like the the alien evolution of a gazelle. So it's like not only not only is he prey and like low on the food chain, but he like can run eighty kilometers per hour and is hooved hooved. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're right. That's basically what it is. And we, we got to see him in action a bit, um, you know, where he uh, fights Michael and kicks her right in the gut and um, and all of that. This is really, I mean, it's a Saru episode. And yeah. I just want to take a moment and just, like, touch on that because that's what Star Trek usually does is an episode will focus on a, on a particular character. And sometimes it's not obvious, but most episodes do that. And this was the Saru episode. Yeah. So do you guys think that it was a good one for him? Well, now that we know how physically strong and dominating he is, holy cow, uh, when he when he kicked Burnham in the chest, and I was like, holy, did he just kick her sternum in? I mean, she she looks like she's in some legitimate pain right about now. We need a, we need well, a lot he, more of his species on board. Give him guns. He crushed their communicators with his bare hands like they were beer cans. I mean, <laughs> yeah. It's like if if this is what Saru's species are, who what are the creatures that are hunting them? Because I mean, the, like if they're genetically created to be prey, they're prey that can you know like bench three hundred pounds and run eighty miles per hour. It's like you need to work on your uh, your genetic manipulation a little bit better, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Part of that made me think of the Herogen in in Voyager, where this is a hunter species, but they want a difficult prey. You know, like they were going after Species 8472. They like the challenge. It's like a predator. If the prey is too easy, then there's there's no game in that. There's no challenge. There's no honor. And so hmm. if the other species is similar to the Herosian or, or the predators, um, they would want a, a, a prey species that, that could outrun them, that might be able to, to physically injure them. Um, so and Saru is the most dangerous game. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, yes, he is. That should that should have been the name of this episode. 
Ooh, I like it. That's it's definitely catchier than the Latin. I never took Latin, so. <laughs> um. So of course we get a little bit more of Ash Tyler and his somewhat of a relationship with Michael. Is there any part of you guys? I know that you guys touched on it a bit last week. Yeah. And I think we've talked about it once before. Is there any part of you guys left that thinks that he is Voke? Uh, I mean. I, I feel like either he is and they're going to great lengths to dissuade us of that or he's not and and it's just very convenient that he has those connections. But from what we've seen of Laurel in this episode, it doesn't seem like she has some huge ace in the hole that she's, you know, it doesn't seem like she's working that strong of an angle that she would, you know, be able to pull those kind of strings from the background. Like she, mm-hmm. she seems like she's on, on the razor's edge of, you know, Klingon yeah. dumb. But I mean, he's, Vogue's got to be out there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Like, I don't think Vogue is dead or anything. I just, uh, there's just, there's no part of me that believes that he could be Vogue. And I'm a little concerned that because it's a TV show, they can write whatever they want. I'm a little concerned that he's going to be Vogue and it's not going to make any sense. <laughs> yeah, it's going to kind of, if, if that ends up being the case, it's going to lameify a lot of the the previous episodes. I still don't think he's Vogue. I mean, it's, if so, it's going to be an easy cop out to go, ha ha ha, look, we got one over you. Uh, but they're investing a lot of time in him helping Michael build relationships or find her soul or her Katra or whatever. Um, I would, I would not mind if he turned into be like a double agent. I think that would be legitimately interesting if he was captured and tortured by the Klingons so long that now he's like, you know what? The Klingons are the powerful species. I'm going to help them. That would actually, excuse me. I would be, that would be interesting to me. That's an interesting thought. Um, I guess for me, He's doing, he's going so far out of his way to make references to being human <laughs> that... My name is Ash like, Human. <laughs> well, like, he's talking about, like, the fish, the trout or whatever. He's like, you've never had, like, fresh-caught grilled trout? Right. And Michael's like, well, no, of course not. I was brought up on Vulcan. What are you talking about, crazy man? But, like, he always has something to say about Earth. Very, very specific. And... You know, it's it's one of those things where it's like, either he has to just be a human, or it's a lie that's gone too far. Yeah, but I mean, we also see um, Laurel, who is the, the master espionage Klingon, who still speaks English as though she has a mouth full of cotton balls and has, like, suffered head trauma. So, it's, I, I can't imagine the other guy would have, like, surpassed her and mastered his background and all of this stuff, especially that early on, like in, in a three month span. So yeah. Yeah. What, I mean, whatever it ends up, there's going to be a reveal about Ash's history. No doubt. It's just kind of, I'm, I'm concerned as to what it is, but I don't think it's going to be that like, Oh, he's got a, you know, he flips a switch and everyone was hanging out with a Klingon this whole time. Well, so let's talk about Laurel. So she goes back to the, the ship of the dead and wants to interrogate our Admiral Cornwall, but wants to help her escape because she wants to defect to the Federation. Did anybody see that coming? Because that did catch me off guard. Yeah, that was 
I mean, it was surprising, but I also don't know if it was genuine, but it seemed like it was genuine by the end of it. That was, that was a pretty complicated, uh, like I, 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 I'm fascinated to see how that whole thing shakes out because on all sides of it, not only her, but, um, whatever the name of the Klingon commander who's got everybody bowing to him, like what his, Cole. Cole, yeah, what his real intentions are and. And kind of whether or not Caldwell really bought it, but now I guess we won't know because, spoiler on that one, she got smashed into a wall by Laurel, and Caldwell appears to be dead. Yeah, so, like, that's so weird for me because I felt like those two were on the same page, so I thought they were going to fake it, but she certainly seemed dead. Yeah, I mean, she left her in the the room of the piles of gross corpses. That was a shocking amount of gore. On that one corpse that was on top of the Klingon corpse pile that looked like a walking dead prop. Why do you think all those dead bodies were being saved? Well, I mean, it's the ship of the dead. I was I was originally assuming that they were just in line to be put on the hull, like the rest of the the corpses. But are they are they still doing that? Because that was a Takovma thing. I don't think Cole would be doing that. Or maybe maybe that's what they were trying to show by having. A, you know, a warehouse full of corpses is that they're not keeping up that uh, tradition. Hmm. You see, it almost kind of seemed like to me that she was surprised to find them all dead. The way she would go up to them and kind of uh, caress their faces, say their name and all that jazz. And then, and I say that because then afterwards when she goes back to the bridge and uh, I don't know his name. <laughs> the Cole. Cole. Cole, yeah. Cole. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why I keep forgetting that. It's the short names I always forget. Yeah, um, one syllable. Yeah, the one syllable. But then he's like, did you not think I would see through your deception? And I'm like, so, what? I'm like, so, I'm like, this is, this is, this is starting to get like Littlefinger in Game of Thrones with plots within plots within plots. I'm like, just tell me who to root for. Yeah, so many, so many levels of intrigue. But yeah, from a pacing standpoint, I was really confused that they had, uh, Laurel discover all of the corpses after she defected because you'd think that she would see that and that would kind of be what spurred her on to want to defect. It was it was odd that we we see her motivation like afterwards. Well, I feel like the difference what what happened there is her plan was to leave the ship, and then that kind of went awry and she wasn't sure what to do, and then she sees all of her colleagues have been killed. So she vows to kill Cole. So she figures if she goes up there and get, gains his favor and ends up on the ship, she'll have a better opportunity to kill him. Yeah. But that backfires. He's He knows that she's full of it. And so he has her taken away, I assume, to be killed. So it's quite possible that this episode went from Laurel and Cornwall working together to return to the Discovery to them both being dead in like 20 minutes. <laughs> well, I think it. They made it sound as if Cole was was not having her killed because she was still potentially useful, because he could have just had the guards drag her away. But right before he had the guards drag her away, he said, "Like I won't be killing you. There might be more people to interrogate. Now throw her in a cell until we need her to inter- interrogate someone." Yeah, that's fair. I, I I did not interpret it that way, but you're probably right. Yeah, and I, I just I had I. The more I see of this interpretation of Klingons, like the more I'm, I'm not into this 
portrayal of Klingons because we we see them as total savages. Like we they are complete they're like food motivated in the one episode where he brings them a big dinner and they're all loyal to him. So they're just like these these monsters that will do that will kill and join a crew for a meal like they're, you know, pirates. Well, I mean they had been going hungry though for months because the the ship was stuck there. So if you had been marooned on an island for, you know, four or five months and you were barely getting by surviving you might get on the boat that has the free buffet. Yeah, but the the same species that that can't feed themselves are also somehow immediately replicating and and handing out cloaking devices that and and have these crazy like spacesuits that that fold out all over your body and these pods well, that they, create they an atmosphere. Explain all of that. So, like, there's a piece of the engine on the ship that gets damaged and all of the other Klingon ships leave them behind because they don't like Tekovma. And, uh, Vok realizes that the Shenzhou has the part that they need, but that would go against Tekovma because he was all about the, you know, the, the purity of the Klingon race. And so they're sitting there dying because their own people have left them to die. Well, my, my concern is more who is the Klingon engineer? Because it seems like everyone is just, like, it's just guards on guards on guards. Like, Laurel is the only one who seems to have any nuance to her as a character, and she's, like, the only one that's not some slavering barbarian. Yet somehow they're disseminating this super advanced technology that's apparently also ancient, that's apparently also more advanced than anything that Starfleet can handle. It's just, like, from a conceptual standpoint, it's it's hard to pin down who the Klingon are as a people. It's like they used to be these kind of junker pirates that also had a weird religious fanaticism to them. And now they're kind of barbarians with a religious fanaticism, but also seem to have access to this, what seems like magic. You know, it's, it's hard to, I mean, they're like ogres. And I I think it was just a lack of character because, um, you only have three Klingons right now that have names, right? You've got Laurel, you've got Voke, and you've got Cole. Anybody else who's a Klingon is just there for decoration at this point. And so yeah. we don't see them at their stations versus like, you know, the, br- the bridge of the, of the ship of the dead is like this weird outlandish creative, you know, kind of design. Whereas on the discovery there's stations, you know, where helm and tactical are and where the captain sits and they're, He's barking orders and people are firing torpedoes and, and all of that. It's very Federation. It's very Trek. And maybe that's my big disconnect with the Klingons is that they're trying to make the Klingons a, a more uh, in-depth, more varied group, a, a more cultured group. And I appreciate that. But it's such a departure from what they they were that I'm having a hard time connecting the dots. And we have now seen more federation ships that look like normal star trek ships than not the discovery is really the only outlier but the klingon ships all look completely different than any klingon ships ever looked prior to discovery yeah you're right right. and if and if this is going to be your portrayal of klingons that they're so far away from being klingons that they're not klingons have them not be klingons do like every other 
new Star Trek series yeah. and invent a new alien and just call them that. Well, in the well, preview for the next next week's episode, and even was talking about how uh, Burnham was talking to the Klingons or whatever about, oh, I thought honor was important to your people. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's part of what, like, and not not to go on too much of a tangent, but it's the same problem that I had with with Star Trek Into Darkness, right? The fact that Benedict Cumberbatch's con is is not really relevant. Just let him be John Harrison, because you're changing who he is so much. Just give him a different name. And if you don't want to do Klingons the way they were during the the canon you know era, then which we we know what they looked like, we know what their ships were like, um, and what their culture was like for the most part. Make them somebody else, right? So that's that's kind of my 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 hang up for it. And I know at this point we should just be happy that there's new Star Trek, and I am. It's why I've I've watched every episode, and we're doing a podcast on it. Yeah. Um, and things like that. I just I'm not sold yet on the new Klingons. Well, That's all. And it's the the same comment we've been making this whole po- all the podcasts is you can love something and still criticize it. And I kind of went on that rant a week or two ago that Jeremy was listening to me for 15 minutes. Um, <laughs> I enjoy I, I like criticism when it comes to story aspects and creative aspects. What annoys me is when people and it still happens online when people are. Why is, why does Tilly have allergies? I'm like, really? This is what you're, compl- this is your reason for not liking Star Trek Discovery is there's a character with allergies? I'm like, maybe you should never have been a Star Trek fan. But <laughs> complaining or critiquing you don't the way. You deserve that, Star Trek. Yeah, exactly. But a critique of the way they're, excuse me, sometimes, uh, how they're showing the Klingons. And I get that because I agree. I'm like, they keep talking about these Klingons are savage, religious, et cetera, et cetera. And then. The very next episode, I thought honor was important to your people. I'm like, well, which is it? Are they right. religious fanatics or are they honorable warriors? I mean, it's, it's. I mean, right now it just seems like Cole and the Klingon Empire don't like the Federation, which is consistent with Klingons. That's fine. They've got their cloaking technology, which I mean, you know, whatever. I I'm not sure why they changed that because if I'm remembering correctly, I I. And maybe this is wrong. Maybe this is my mistake. But in the original series, you know, I thought that there was some trading going on where the Klingons traded ships to the Romulans for, for their cloaking technology. You would be correct. They traded uh, battle cruisers to the Romulans, and the Romulans traded cloaking devices. There was a there was like an entire two or three episode arc about that, I believe. Hmm. So, like, so if that's right, then they're 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 changing that that story. And I'm not saying they're not allowed to change anything. I mean. Canon's a separate conversation that we can have someday, but uh, if you're gonna put it as a prequel show, and then you're going to change canon, you have to give me a good reason. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's, the, the justification is, like, you know, do do whatever you want, it's, it's their thing, they're making it, they're paying the money, you know, we're just the fans of it, but make make good decisions from like a production and a directorial standpoint if you want everything to be in klingon modify klingon as a language so it doesn't sound so stilted and moronic i mean they sound like they're they're grunting like orcs everything is so stilted it's like mm, ah, mm, uh. and it's like no no one fluent in a language would speak like that let alone you know some uh what is what is the name of the Klingon homeworld? I'm completely blanking on it. Kronos. Kronos. Like, is there a university on Kronos where there's, like, a, a professor with glasses teaching warp drive engineering in that language? It would be bananas. 
It's it. Yeah, I guess the, the that that part for some reason has not bothered me. I, I've actually kind of liked that aspect of it. Um, but we've kind of gone down a bit of a rabbit hole, though. So yeah. let's let's go back to the episode here. Let's talk about Tilly and Stamets uh, because they had a little bit of of a B plot or a C plot, I guess, depending on how many you know you had going here. Um, so also, is Tilly the ship's counselor? It's like Tilly is basically the ship's counselor. <laughs> She's she's the everybody. She's the normal person who likes other people and wants to be a good friend. And then you have all of these, you know, super crew members who, you know, are supposed to be the, the, the TNG perfect characters, right? And she's breaking that mold. That's who she is. And she's trying to help Stamets in this episode because she realizes something is wrong with him. So... Do you think that this has anything to do with the whole mirror thing that happened? Or do you think this is just a side effect of using the uh, the spore drive? I mean, the the mirror thing is, is going to be something huge. But yeah, I, th- I think this is a symptom of that, where he appears to be bipolar, where he's either giddy, like super, super fun time statements, or he's grumpy, grumpy statements. I'm still hoping he turns into a tardigrade. <laughs> just goes full water bear. Just goes full water bear, and they give him a uniform and everything. Well, there there is a uh, there is a fan theory that he turns into the traveler that we meet in the next generation, who is responsible for taking Wesley away from us. Um, no. How do you guys feel about that theory? No, no. The the traveler was such like. An offhanded, like, it's just like a giant boot to kick Wesley off of the show. I, I can't imagine they would, they would make a main character of this show, an homage of such a non-character that was such, like, lame. No, I, I refuse to accept that fan theory. Just cause I, <laughs> I thought that, that plot of like, Wesley's so smart he can see outside of space and time now. It's so lame. I have Greg. I have no opinion on the matter. <laughs> I mean, I like I like that people are coming up with the crazy theories because you guys have heard me for what seven eight weeks in a row. I, I love all the insane Game of Thrones theories, so I I enjoy the theories except for whenever they say you know Tyler is whoever Cole or Valk or whoever he is this week. I'm like, Vogue, yeah. There's a theory for him being every Klingon and Cole is a clone of himself or whatever. I'm like, stop. Um, I, I'm, I'm kind of with Jeremy in that I don't, I don't think they're going to do a connection between discovery and next generation like that. I think there's going to be a connection thrown in somehow, maybe with the mirror universe in some capacity, but I don't, I, yeah, I don't see him being the traveler, but the traveler, I will say this, the goofy Wesley episode aside, um, uh, the, the episode in season one where no one has gone before was a pretty good episode. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, and that's mainly what I'm talking about. I mean, they they got to go even for for them the, the special effects were good. They got to go to you know other galaxies and even beyond um, because of what the traveler could do. And there's some logic in the the whole tardigrade spore drive thing. In in the the mirror universe timeline, would the mirror universe? So one thing that I was thinking with that is is like stamens could somehow be the branching point that creates the mirror universe. Would there be mirror universe history going back to the when this takes yeah. place? Yeah, because in in Enterprise, 
the mirror universe. So the mirror universe timeline is offset from ours. Right. Um, and so in the mirror universe, they get the defiant from the original series. So in, um, uh, is it the doomsday machine episode or whatever of the original series where you find the defiant and it's all beat up and you never really find out what happened to it. They retconned that in enterprise and basically said that the ship crossed into the mirror universe and the, um, the Tholians had it and they had to steal the ship from the Tholians. And that's how Hoshi becomes empress of, uh, of the empire and, and all of that stuff. So, um, man, I thought the, I thought the mirror universe started because when the Vulcans landed on earth, it was Zephram Cochran that killed them and took the Vulcan ship. Did I just make that up in right. my brain? <laughs> no, that, well, that's not okay. So I don't think that that's alpha canon. I think that's beta okay, canon. Okay. Uh, and we can have a long conversation about the differences there, everybody. But, uh, but yeah, there was some stuff written about that being a thing in, in some of the novels. Uh, so the mirror universe goes way back. Mm. Um, so he wouldn't be, I mean, of course, timey wimey stuff. You could, I guess, make anything the beginning in a circular in a cyclical, you know, concept. Right. But, um, I, I would say that that, I don't see that being the case. But how weird would it be if they cross into the mirror universe and end up on like the Enterprise D and it looks like the, the Enterprise D? That'd be awesome. I would be okay with that. That would be weird. That would be but so they, weird. But they changed the entire crew out, and it's not Picard and all them. It's just an entirely an entirely new group of people that don't look anything like the Next Generation cast. Well, I don't know because so okay in the comic books they they did this really they're doing an actual mirror universe a next generation mirror universe comic book right now, and I gotta be honest they look badass they really do well, the yeah. Enterprise D Picard with the torn the, off sleeves and like jacked biceps yeah he's totally jacked and Data's got like a robot arm and it's the Enterprise technically kind of Data looks, has a whole robot body well mostly yeah. <laughs> Uh, the Enterprise looks like the Dreadnought that was the refit in All Good Things and that alternate future, and it's got like tons of weapons and stuff. And well, uh, One thing I would love Discovery to do, since we're kind of on this topic, I mean, when we grew up in the 80s and early 90s, the, the serials at the time, the TV serials, excuse me, remember every so often, like every once a season or maybe once every two seasons, they would have a throwaway episode where they just make something fun? And yeah. Like if they did a mirror universe of in Discovery and it's the discovery or it's the USS enterprise or whatever, but it's like the entire cast and crew from like cheers. It's like all the actors and actresses in those roles just happen to be on a star Trek ship. They used to do that kind of stuff in the eighties. And I would love to see them do that. I know it won't happen because it yeah, seems like the, yeah. the world we live in today is so ultra serious that if you go five degrees away from whatever is considered expected, then people start paying it. I mean, kind of like star Wars fans are doing right now with, with Last Jedi, you know, picking apart the trailer and going, look at this X-Wing. It's got the wrong color engine. My life is ruined. And I'm, I'm seeing some Star Trek fans do that with Discovery. Just because Discovery's starting to do weird stuff. I'm like, will you stop? I'm like, like, like I've been preaching. Well, just because that's the internet right now. That's the internet right now. And I'm like, did you guys ever see Star Trek? It's been weird forever. And that's that's one of the endearing qualities of it. It's a goofy show about the hope for the hu- the future, the triumph for the human soul and conflict with itself or whatever i'm like i like that kind of stuff yeah no i think that's fair um, i don't know why i don't so, know why i went on a tangent right there i apologize no that's good it's good it's a good sentiment and it's it's an important one to think about because next week is the mid-series mid-season finale 
uh, they added uh, an, another episode onto the first half of the season, and it looks like we're gonna have a pretty big battle from that uh, that teaser uh, with you know the discovery using the spore drive to hop around and battle, which I thought was an interesting take. Um, so I guess we'll have to see what that is like. Do you guys have any final thoughts on the episode? Uh, yeah, I wanted to point out something that was uh, interesting as the, in the fight sequence at the beginning, uh, breaking from Trek tradition, even though they took a ton of damage, there were no sparks or explosions on the deck or on the bridge, which is something that's like been in every single Star Trek. You, you hit the ship somewhere and something blows up on the bridge. And it's, it didn't happen at all. Either, like screens, yeah. screens flickered, but no sparks. A, well, either that or there's a coolant leak. Right. Coolant leak. And, and coolant you do the leak. epic, uh, you know, Geordie roll. Right. The Indiana Jones roll, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. I, I did find that to be a very different kind of battle sequence. And what's really cool um, is that uh, I, I, just, I felt like it, the... The shaky cam, you know, of everyone having to pretend that the ship got hit and everything. It it looked really good. It really did. I thought they hit the action sequences really well. Yeah. And we also got to see uh, Ariam, the the robot android. Oh, yeah. And actually said her name, and he gave her the comm, which is like... So she's she's not only a weird robot, but she's, you know... Is, is that his first officer? Or no, I guess That's Saru's his, his first second officer. officer. Yeah. She's the data, officer. actually. She has the exact same position as data, I guess. Which then why is data so special if there's already a robot? Well, she's she's not a robot. She's a biological being with cybernetic enhancements mm. versus data as an android. Okay. So, yeah. so she's so a board. She's, 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 yeah, she's a board. There 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 <laughs> it is. <laughs> uh Greg, any final thoughts from you? Well, the main thing to repeat what I what I mentioned earlier, I like where the direction where the show's going, but I and I know this makes me a terrible human being. I liked seeing the Federation lose in the beginning, and I like that because I've always believed. And I'll, I want to borrow a quick quote from another critique, you know, Red Letter Media when they're talking about the Star Wars prequels. And one of the biggest things the prequels failed on is there's a huge intergalactic war going on. And you never see the impacts of the war on Coruscant or across the Republic. But in this episode of Star Trek with Discovery, they're helping to defend the Gagarin and they lose. And yeah. they yeah. immediately jump into, well, we got to get out of here and we'll get them next time. But I'm like, that's, I like rooting for the people that actually face real consequences and losing another ship. That's something that didn't happen very much in Next Generation. It happened a lot in DS9 with the war. But it's something you don't typically see in Star Trek. So I like seeing them with their backs against the wall. How are we going to win? How are we going to defeat the Klingons? What are we going to do? Here's all the op. I like that kind of stuff. So this episode was a vi- it was a very good episode, and I like that it's a good. It's almost it's almost would have been a good mid season finale in its own. But I'm really excited for next episode. Well, it really is part one of a two part episode. I I think it's going to pair with the next one pretty well as as a the fall finale. Yeah, but I can see why they wanted to break here. You know, originally that that makes total sense to me. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, overall, pretty good episode. I'm excited to see where it goes next. Um, I think we're gonna close up there, then, guys. Uh, don't forget, if you can, to join us at Kansas City Comic Con this weekend. 
We have uh, three different panels from the Heroes Podcast Network. Gamer Heroes, Screen Heroes, and Costume Couture are all doing live episodes. And then I will actually be on two other panels, um, one with uh, Notes and Nerds and another with the Voices of Star Wars. So come to Bartle Hall, check out booth 643. Jeremy and I will be there all weekend. So it'll be a good time. And we've got some other people who will be hanging out with us as well. Um, So... Guys, where can people find you if they would like to talk Trek with you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Zen Munkin, and I also host another podcast on the network called Saturday Morning Tooncast about cartoons and serial. And you can find me on Twitter at V underscore Bittersteel, and also at my email at V underscore Bittersteel at yahoo.com. Awesome. And uh, don't forget, guys, to go out to iTunes and drop us a review. Uh, I forgot we had another review. We've got two now, and I wanted to give a shout-out to um, the uh, the person who left the review is Satanic Taco Truck of Doom, and they gave us a five-star review. So they uh, they said that we are a great group of people. They know their, their Star Trek and obviously love the shows and lore. They appreciate it with respect, humor, and aren't scared to go against the grain. So thank you, Taco Truck of Doom. Uh, I appreciate that review. It helps people find our show. So please go out to iTunes and Blog Talk Radio and whatever you listen to podcasts on and leave us a review or a rating. You can find me at the Star Trek Dude for all of my Star Trek and gaming tweets and things of that nature. At Heroes Podcasts for the record for the rest of the network and heroespodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We will catch you next time.